Welcome to the Leadership of Fools. We are about to up anchor and set sail into the heady ocean of business dilemmas and discussions. Nothing's going to stop us. On today's episode of Leadership of Fools, we start with a dilemma. How do leaders shape the best composition of a team? Confront the question of showing up, especially not playing victim. Reflecting on your own role, especially when you lead that team. Creating a feedback culture. Tackling the hard questions and especially the hard decisions as early as possible. And then the potentially the most confusing metaphor ever. There's a bus, there's an arena, and then it just gets a little weird. Today's guests are Nat Fian and Kate Tembe. Nat is an experienced marketing executive and is especially passionate about digital and tech companies. Kate is involved and has lots of experience in the area of global finance and was recently a contestant on Australian Survivor. Uh, what, what corporate buzzwords uh, have irked you through the years? What's a corporate oh. buzzword that really got your goat? Well, I've worked at Goldman Sachs, so we have a full dictionary of our own buzzwords. Uh, It's one of reach out, connect. I think reach out would probably, you know, a bit with an American twang, actually, you know, I'll reach out to you. We need to reach out. We're going to reach out. We'll take it offline, shall we? (laughs) We could open a whole can of worms about corporate buzzwords that have started to... It'd be a very long conversation. (laughs) Well, I might sunset that issue right now and we'll move on because uh, over here we've got Nat Fian. Hi, Rick. Hey, uh, just wondering, how are you feeling about being on the podcast? That's one of my questions here. I just wanted to find out. Well, interestingly, we were talking about imposter syndrome earlier. So there's an element of imposter syndrome. I've never done a podcast before. So overall, uh, I feel like a little bit of an imposter, but really excited about the content. Well, I can tell you, you're 100% nailing it so far. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a very small cross-section from this episode <laughs> that we've got to go on. But from what I've heard so far, I'm ranking you in the top three podcasters around this table. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. <laughs> someone so someone around so the table has dropped out. Really <laughs> We're trying to work out who's the fourth. Yeah, I like to have that frisson of uh, tension just around the table. It's like, someone's not in the top three. <gasps> Who is it? It's me, guys. It's me. <laughs> I tried to make podcasts with the modcast a catchphrase. Uh, so, right. And that has, that has really... It's booted it's gone me. Nowhere. It's booted me off the podium. Um, but we are not here to talk about my inability to come up with catchy catchphrases. We're here to talk about the business issues that affect all of us and none of us at the same time. Uh, and today's topic is what does it take to get the right mix of people in your team? Uh, and what do you do when that mix just doesn't work, even when the individuals are capable? Ooh, so when capability is not an issue. Um, so, look, we've all reached out to to, um, <laughs> to get the right people on our team. Um what happens when that right mix is just not happening? Oh, who starts? Well, where I start with this is the good old Jim Collins, good to great. You know, I love a bit of the old classic business literature because, in fact, it's it's the best. Yeah. Uh, it is really basic. And the one thing, that insight that he really did deliver was before you think about where you're going, you need to make sure you have the right people on the bus. And I think at the time that was quite innovative to put it up front. That it was back when bus travel was a real way of getting around <laughs> as well. So it sort of resonated a lot more. And so I think when you think about that, it is paramount around assessing 
you know, who are the right people and being clear enough to say, okay, what seats have I got and mm. who did, who needs to be on those seats? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And when I think of that analogy, I recently was hearing Gail Kelly yep. talk about having the right people on the bus, but also moving quickly. And I think it's something that as leaders is really challenging. And even when we think about topics like diversity and you want yeah. to give people the benefit of the doubt and you want to be able to coach people, but at the same time, Generally, if you don't have the right group of people on the bus, mm. people aren't going to become the right person on the bus, so you also need to move quickly. Mm. I might write a follow-up book called Getting a Better Bus. <laughs> <laughs> i got the right people, but our bus is crap. <laughs> we just need a better bus. There's something to that, actually. <laughs> Trademark. But, uh, yeah, the, right, the question of right, and that's probably what I'm most curious about. So in your own experience, what does right actually mean? I think there are a few lessons that you hold in your career that really resonate and one I think is is this, you know, I believe so deeply in the development of people uh, that perhaps I more tolerant or was not, did not have a clear enough view around the right people and moving quickly. Right. Uh, so absolutely working with teams and moving people through and, and have, have done that, but I couldn't agree more around Gail Kelly, you know, just really identifying what is right. Right is where you are very clear around the cultural requirements and the the basic uh, engagement level that is needed. And that's not how many hours you turn up. That is how you turn up. How you turn up. How you turn up. And are you another great Brene Brown, you know, are you in the arena? Because I think a lot of people want to turn up as the critic and really what we're after is teams to be in the arena, so in the arena to accept the diversity, in the arena to solve the problem, in the arena to have compassion. Uh, but to me, that's re the real measure uh, because if people are outside the arena, they are the critic and they oh, are participating so in, the, the, with, in the, 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 the trip that you want it to With the bus analogy, on. we need one of those uh, Fred Flintstone buses where there's no floor in the bus <laughs> and no engine, but everyone's, everyone's re relying on the right people to be moving that bus forward. I, what what I love about do. it, and, and I love you, Rick, just <laughs> for some validation, I love your analogies as well. Yeah. And yeah, your metaphors. Do it. And um, I'm very curious about the sequel. <laughs> And But I'm now picturing the audience, and I think that plays out so strongly at the moment, that sense that if I'm in the audience, I can critique. I can uh, not have to get in. I can actually just comment to my neighbour um, or leave mm -hmm. or turn it off. Uh, so it's a very powerful metaphor. Mm -hmm. yep. The underlying culture of a team, you can't underestimate and it is easy to especially when you have somebody who's very capable mm. so their productivity or delivery is high and yet you've got questions over how they're turning up to the team but I think you really have to recognize the negative impact that that can have on the team and when you've got a team that where there's any doubt in I think some core elements of behavior around respect so respecting the cultural norms of that team you've got to have the right people in that room. And I think it is easy if somebody's a high performer but they don't you, – you make allowances for them sometimes for some of those behaviours and I think that's the biggest mistake that you can make. And I think around the conversation of diversity as well, sometimes where it is more challenging is whether you – is how you um, 
respond to that role of somebody who is in the audience being the critic? Because you start asking yourself, well, is that bringing a diverse set of thinking to the table? (laughs) So therefore, is that actually healthy for the team? Mm -hmm. But I think it is then reaching back to your point and saying, what are the behavioural expectations and how do we make sure that this team respects each other's views? Because if the respect breaks down because of the behaviours, it will not work. And I love, I can live with a critic who actually owns the role and the impact that they're playing. It's the, it's the critic who has no accountability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I can turn it to uh, from from my world uh, as as a performer, we as an ensemble uh, when we're improvising, we we have someone sit out and as a critic and take notes to watch it with their outside eye because um, we it's useful for us to, to have that. Uh, that role is, is valid and we do learn from that. But what we always make sure that it's, it's never the same person all the time because like, mm. it's, it's, it's people who are performers taking it in turns. I'm not in this show so I'll sit and watch and take notes about how, what I saw. Um, and so I think in some ways mm. it's, it's all right to have the critic role because that does – um, give you a different perspective, yeah, but you don't. Potentially valuable, yeah. but but if that's their only role, then um, you know and you want them also seeing it from the other on the. You want them in the arena, and that's why I love the arena. Yeah, because the analogy it's just so powerful. Because when you're in the arena, you're absolutely criticising yeah. what's coming at you. You're critiquing. You're showing inclusion. But if you can't listen, mm. and you actually can't see yourself as part of the solution. To me, that's where the behavioural piece breaks down. Uh, And then as a leader, to keep on this analogy, Mm -hmm. um, one other inspirational coach I had many years ago um, said a leader really has to stand above the arena as Mm -hmm. well. So that's the difficulty in Nat saying the comment of, moving fast and making it as a leader. So what's important though, you said as well. As well. Yeah. So the leader, in, the leader yeah. needs to be part of the team and in the arena yep. and to make sure the behaviours are being heard but have the ability to elevate yourself to look down and see how's it going. And mm-hmm. I think that's the challenge of leaders. And how the dynamics of that team are working and what's required, where the gaps are, where the strengths are. You know, the, the critic role and the diverse thinking and all of that, you know, for me... As an individual, the thing and the sort of the thing that I struggle with the most is when somebody's the critic and also the victim. And if you've got a, somebody who's a combination of those two things, they've got to be moved on really quickly because you can't sit and critique and also be the victim mm-hmm. of what's happening when you're not part of the team. Now, you and I had a chat about this recently um, and in a way we were kind of challenging each other about how we look at teams. I... I I think the moment you start to look at teams as individuals, you can get really lost in it versus looking at the team as the dynamic that is that team. Does this team actually make good decisions together? Does this team actually create energy and momentum? Um, so there's something about, and I think it maybe is that sort of balcony dance perspective mm. or the mm. uh, outside of the arena, the ability to be able to look at that team dynamic at play. Yeah, mm. and ultimately the team dynamic at play is a collection of all of the individual roles that people play. And I think successful teams are made up of people who have the ability to change their own role. So if you look at a great leadership team, they'll identify gaps that exist in any conversation and so they'll play a different role and that's where you get really dynamic people having dynamic conversations. I think less successful teams are made up of individuals where they have a fixed role and they sit in that fixed role and that's the position that they bring 
to the arena and and to the team in every scenario. Yeah. Even if those roles, even if they're high performing in those roles, if they're not flexible, yeah, um, that's that's where those high performance things can be can be detrimental. And I think from a learning and development perspective for individuals, that's often the gap where they can't move from management to leadership because it's really hard to self-identify that that's what you do and often you've got a technical expert or subject matter expert expert, and they're used to playing that role. It's where they gain comfort and it's having the courage to move (laughs) outside that role. And I also sometimes think about whether or not it's something you can teach people or whether it's a natural ability because the sort of emotional intelligence in being able to work with the team, understand where the gaps are, move yourself into that role it is it doesn't come naturally to everybody. If I've learned anything from YouTube, it's that you can teach anything. Uh, there's a tutorial oh, there for is. anything. So if you want to learn how to be more adaptable, just just, just type watch it YouTube. In, just type it into YouTube, like a, a adaptability tutorial. There'll be one. Well, as someone asked, how did I do a lot of my training for survival? On you know on, on Survivor, on, it was via YouTube. Yeah. You can learn how to build fires. You can learn you know it, yeah. to that point. However, I think there is a really good connection here around if your aspiring leaders haven't come to grips with things such as imposter syndrome, inclusion, all of these things that organisations are get, having to grip come to grips with. How will they actually be able to make that transition from technical to leader? When and it comes, you, sorry, no, and you pointed on the EQ that's needed. When it comes to the crunch and the crunch moment when you might have to exit someone from the team, and this is where I'm struck by the the start of the question, which is that idea they're actually capable. They've actually got the skill set. They actually could add value. How do you message around that for for that individual? So I think you've got to have a pretty honest conversation with the person. And I think generally, if you ask that person, they'll probably tell you that they don't feel like part of the team. So when the issue is is not capability and it is something about fit, if that person has any self-awareness, generally when you ask them, how are you feeling? How are you going with the relationships? They will indicate that there's some kind of misfit there. And then that's the piece that you work on to say, I'm not sure that this is the right team for you. What did you do, Colin, when you had to get people out of bike club? <laughs> did you have just tough conversations? Maybe I haven't explained this very well. I <laughs> desperately needed more people in bike club. Once you were in no, bike club, you never left. No one was ever exited from bike club. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Yeah, look, and I think the whole capability piece, it's really challenging as a leader. When you've got mm. a high performer and somebody who's really delivering, there's a lot of risk in letting that person go. And it's not easy because often they leave a really big gap. But... In identifying, you know, in building a successful team and having team dynamics that flourish and are fair on the rest of the team members, you've got to move that person on because it's actually not fair on the rest of the team. Yeah, I mean, it's all those sporting analogies come in as well. It's, it's, the sporting landscape is littered with high-performing mm. sports people who have had to be exited from teams because it just wasn't working out from a team. And it's that team of champions versus champion team sort of scenario. And then you create to those behavioural norms that you're looking for. You actually, as a leader, are making exceptions for somebody based on their capability. So if you've got somebody who is a fantastic star performer in a football mm. club, yet they're not abiding to the rules of not drinking on the weekend, yeah. it's... We're talking about Brendan Vavola, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're creating a new set of yeah. norms for the team and you can't expect the rest of the team to... So you've got to identify yeah. it quickly and you've got to move on. It kind of goes back to that question of how do we help people to belong mm. and have we really made that effort yeah. before we... 
feel like it's too hard. And that's the huge risk for leaders is you want to act quickly and get the right team dynamics. So are there people that could bring amazing things to the team through diversity or creativity just because they think differently? And that's, I think, the biggest challenge, like one of the biggest challenges of being a leader just generally is working out who's on the bus and who's off the bus and how quickly, (laughs) how many tickets do you give them to get back on in an expectation for them to change before you say, okay, we're off. how do you get the bus into the arena? (laughs) (laughs) How many buses can get into the arena? We need to have layers above the bus. (laughs) And the piece I'd touch on, though, that I think is interesting that we've talked about is calling something out within a team or a leadership team is really interesting. So having a topic or the importance for a a company to talk around the importance of who's on the bus (laughs) actually puts a a spotlight on, okay, what is the tolerance for that person? So for instances, if I think I may have someone have overstayed their time in a team, what I would bring back to is the very strong conversations that were had around why and I think, was that the right or wrong answer? It could have been the wrong answer, but it was made consciously. Mm. You know, I think it, with organisations, a lot of things happen unconsciously yep. and they're not really analysed. So as long as the process is right, now you mightn't get it all right, your call might have been wrong on that person's development, but at least there was a conversation there around a number of people to say, yes, we will support this person. Yes. And that's the hardest part about it is it's having the real conversation and, you know, as I said before, I really do think sometimes when you ask the right questions, you find out pretty quickly that those people that you're unsure about are not having a great time. They're feeling the same way. Or they're feeling mm. the same way and then it makes it pretty easy for them to jump off that bus. Yeah. <laughs> Can I, and this is probably in the spirit of finding some answers in, in the way forward, um, we've alluded to some of the things that are hard about it. What's actually easy about this or what are the simple or the easy answers to, to these, this dilemma? I think in actually talking about the environment you want to create with a team, you get buy-in. Right. So you may, as Nat's talked to, you may get people opting out, but it can be quite binding to actually say, for this team, we require X, Y and Z standard. I tell you, if there's two people who aren't prescribing to that, the other eight people are going to feel refreshed and energised and they're actually looking for a leader to Because you've named with clarity the expectations... Of the environment. The rules. The rules. The rules of engagement. Yeah. Yeah. And so that can actually be very empowering for the team. Secondly, it then allows you a really clear measure of is someone on or off. And then also your next recruit, well, by the way, this is what we stand for, these four things. And so it becomes clearer and then a lot around this reducing the noise, I think the role of a leader is to reduce the noise, is then you can get on with the task at hand (laughs) and that's innovation, delivery, whatever your task is, rather than the actual challenges that the wrong people on the bus can create this internal vortex. Would it help to have a tribal council? (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> Thank you. And, and Kate, no. I mean, you're so right. Like you've got to be so clear in your expectations and hold accountable to whether they're delivering on them. I think the only other piece that I'd add there is helping people with the self-realisation of their behaviours and actions. So whether you're yeah. calling the behaviour as you see it or you're providing people with mechanisms to get feedback from peers or from leaders or whatever those tools are because the other complexity there 
you know, you can call the behaviour, but sometimes you've got people who will resist it or they don't have the self-awareness to understand that they need to change their behaviour because they can't see it. So how do you help people also see those behaviours? Yeah, and whenever yeah. Um, us uh, improvisers are, are sort of called upon by the corporate world to come in and, and work around issues of team and, and leadership, those those are the big things we end up working with with corporate sort of um, environments on is is around feedback and establishing a strong culture of feedback, mm. um, and and being and clarity around expectations. So all those things are, are going to feed into making and because a lot of the time we're working on making teams more effective and they're the biggest things that. Yeah. We need to work with cult, uh, corporate. People. Rick, I remind you of it. There was a day you and I were on another podcast, yes. and you used, um, and I don't know where where it came from. It may possibly have come from that improvised brain yeah. uh, of yours, the same brain that came up with podcast with the podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but this one was we use feedback for fuel, not to be cruel. Yeah, remember yeah. that one? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I oh, like trademark that. <laughs> Do you like yeah. that one? I think it was. Uh, I think it was. Um, it was like uh, feedback's not meant to be cruel. It's meant to be fuel. Yeah, it's got a, got a rhythm to it. It's not meant to be cruel. It's meant to be fuel. In my mind, it had a it, was, it had a beat to it. Um, there was a choir of kids singing it in the background. It was real catchy. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so, and, and that's a, a lot of the time when we're working on feedback and that culture of feedback. It is making sure that's not being weaponized and that that, that we are using feedback to identify um, how we can improve, not to just be kicking people while they're down. And getting into a pattern of being able to provide feedback mm. because I think for most yeah. people and, you know, whether on the receiving end or the sort of giving end of feedback is it's always sort of seen as hard and so the more that you do it, and mm. I imagine in a sort of improvisation world yeah. you're going to do it more frequently yeah. and so you get need to get yourself and your teams practising the art of giving mm. feedback so and that it's not on exception sorry. for something negative. That's right. That, and equipping people to be able to receive it, and I want you know, and I won't open this up, but I wonder generationally how ready people mm-hmm. will be to hear that some of the tough stuff, because I think it, it, I think it's in in the impro world, I see not only the ability to normalise feedback and just make it really regular, but also how much people want it, so they're actually asking for mm-hmm. it. The fact that you're asking for someone to take notes in the audience. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, and it also ties into that um, thing of uh, people who are highly productive and, and are delivering but aren't necessarily uh, have that negative aspect to it. Um, we face that same thing in improvisation, that people can reach a certain level and they're, they're delivering at a high level and they know when they step on stage they're going to be able to entertain the audience, but they can we, we call it like the, the high-performance plateau. You know, they've, they've hit, they know where they're at and they're not interested in improving in any way yep. or, or they're not, they don't crave feedback anymore because they're like, well, I know I'm going to be able to do it at a certain level that the audience will enjoy it. And so I'm, I'm happy to sit there. And I think that that happens a lot across the board. It's like, well, I'm doing the job I need to do. I'm doing it well. So everything else can sort of... I'm and I interested. think that's where we come to the centralised fact of sense of self. And mm. if we haven't helped people have identify with that sense of self, they can't receive the feedback uh, and they nor can they, you know, deliver it to someone else. Because they overly personalise it or take it to heart or... Or they don't see it, or they, they don't, don't have the awareness. Yeah. So around this idea of imposter syndrome, yeah. ability to take on new ideas, yeah. If as a leader I think you need to help people find their sense of self yes. and then you should flourish yeah. because if you've got a good sense of self and you're curious, then I want to know how I can improve my myself on the, my positives, accentuate yeah. my positives, and also how I can neutralise those things that aren't, aren't really improving my 
my performance. Yeah. So I think the first thing is that you've got to be really clear about your expectation of what different people on that team are bringing to the team and how you, and being clear about how you're going to hold people accountable to it and getting buy-in from the team. And if people aren't bought in to the vision or they're not bought into the behaviours that are expected by that team, well, then they can't be part of it. I think, that you've highlighted it really well. I think it's actually knowing that the first point of call is getting the right people on and don't undervalue how important that topic is and the mix and then the rest plays from there. And if you know that that's your first starting point, then it's secondly where you're going on the bus, then you will pay adequate attention to it and urgency to it. And that's why this topic of leadership is – it's actually – uh, a critical role. It's actually uh, requires you to sometimes do the things that don't come naturally or easily. Uh, sometimes be able to make assessment on others or an assessment on teams and be very clear about expectations and hold those expectations to account. So I suppose bottom line, what I'm saying is uh, if, if those biases you have are towards friendship, relationship, uh, your own sense of belonging, that sometimes is going to get in the way of you being mm. able to make those hard calls. Uh, so I feel like, mm. again, not the topic for now, but there's still mm. another layer to this about the, the leader and the role that they play. And I would say just get as many people on the bus as you can and then when the bus is going, tell everyone on the bus that there's a bomb on the bus and that if the bus goes below 60, the bomb's going to explode and then see how people react and then you're going to get a sense of the team. That's my advice. Thanks on that me. note. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks for being on the podcast with the Modcast. <laughs> Again, what an episode. Uh, so upon reflection, I think a better title is A Bus in the Arena and the three mentoring hits, the three things to take away. Super early, and I mean super early, it's important to set binding standards and rules of engagement for your team. To listen to your head and to listen to your gut, especially when that gut is telling you that someone in the team is not really showing up. The question of are we really getting their best? And finally, it's never too early to have a hard conversation. Leadership of Fools is a Somersault production. Somersault works with organisations through transformation and growth. Please subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or wherever you do your listening. And don't forget to visit leadershipoffools.com.